You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. And for those of you who listen to the show every single day, this is the point where I usually ask you, how is it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. I know it's a rough day. The season came to an end today or yesterday, depending on when you hear this podcast. But on today's show, I want to talk about how the Dolphins fought their way back, but ultimately came up short in the AFC wildcard round, how the year will come to an end after a 34-31 loss to the Buffalo Bills up in Buffalo. We'll talk about it in the five takeaways. We'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel, and we'll hear a segment on the postgame show where Juice and I opine about second year in the system, second year under head coach Mike McDaniel, and tons of fun stuff to look forward to. OJ McDuffie, Seth Levitt, and myself on the postgame show. I think it'll get everybody fired up for what's ahead for this team. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. A brutal, brutal loss. And I say that in the best way possible because it's only brutal when you look at it in terms of believing you were the one that should have, or at the very least, could have come away with the victory. And Dolphins fans of a certain age know it's been 20 years Not since you've won a playoff game, since you've been competitive in a playoff game. 2008, that game was not competitive. 2016, not the situation either, but today it was a little bit different. And man, I am proud to call myself part of this organization after the effort we saw on the football field. I think it's reflective of the people that work in this building every single day that Mike McDaniel talks about on a regular basis. An undermanned team against a club that everyone has on their playoff brackets as a Super Bowl contender at least in a tough, tough environment and building to play in after a horrible start. Spots the Bills, 17 points, and the Dolphins rally. And they take a lead and ultimately wind up on a fourth and short from midfield with two and a half minutes to play in the game in the season, by all intents and purposes, in a game that only saw three points separating the two teams on the scoreboard. If I asked you if you would sign up for that going into this game, you would have said, Travis, take my signature wherever you want it. And this season feels like one of so many moments where I'm just saying to myself, take me back to that moment and give me a redo on the events ahead and you feel like the outcome could be in your favor, really, in each of them. And again, as a person of a certain age that has followed this team for the better part of 30 years now, do you guys recall a season this millennia where every single game you can point to one or two plays and say, man, if those flip in our direction, who knows? I certainly can't. Even the teams that won 10 or 11 games over the last you know, decade and a half or two decades, there were blowouts in those seasons. Games where it's like, well, that was over from the beginning. The Niners game this year, the fourth and two, where they Gesicki has the catch and the first down overturned to incomplete pass. The Chargers game, third and long on that game-sealing drive where they go up by two scores late. 
Buffalo, third and one before the field goal we made to make it an eight-point game in the fourth quarter. The Durham Smythe, little short pass that got knocked back for a tackle for loss. The Green Bay game, the fumble before halftime, or even the illegal formation flag before the second interception of the game. The Patriots lost the formation penalty on Skylar Thompson's scramble for a first down, and now this Bills game. Just a few of those moments, and I think in a lot of ways it defines the way the season went. I want to play some audio at the end of this podcast uh, of the post-game show with me and OJ talking about how this team was close in all those losses and what they need to do to better flip those close scores, those close results, into their favor. We'll get to that at the end. But man, (laughs) ah, this game, the way this team plays that Buffalo team, I can promise you next year when the schedule comes out, Bills fans will look first at their opener. That's what you always do. And then they'll ask, when do we got to play the Dolphins? 85 to 81. That was the cumulative score against this team in the three games they played this season. Do you know what the previous three games against Buffalo produced? 117 points for Buffalo, 37 for Miami. And in one of the games from the three this year, you know, per your opening day starting lineup, you're down QB1, QB2, right tackle one, left guard one, running back one, strong safety one, cornerback two, cornerback three, not to mention the depth in that cornerback room as you could go deeper and deeper with Trill Williams and Mackenzie Alexander getting here and getting injured right away. So the resolve to compete, to go toe-to-toe with a team like that, I don't lie to you guys. Like It genuinely has me inspired. I haven't recalled a season-ending game like where I felt this positive about the team after a loss in a very long time. But it also has me wondering, how can we become victorious the next time around so we can take this good feeling and cash it in down the road? And that's a long ways away, but and more on that in the five takeaways as well. But I, am I the only one who just wants to get to the next thing here? Like, get me to the combine. Get me to free agency. Get me to schedule release night. Take me to the draft. Get me out to OTAs, to training camp. Get me to the season opener. I'm ready for all of it already. Put me in a cryogenic freezer and ship me to September 10th. I really think this team established a foundation and standard that is going to pay off long-term. And man, again, this is diving already into my ultimate takeaway at the end of the podcast here, but I just continue to think about process over results, the compounding variables that led to results in a football game. And sometimes it's a bounce in the wrong direction. Muff punt today that we didn't get back. Like you can't control where that goes. You can get the ball at the bottom of the pile, but you might not get it back. We talked about the need to capitalize on every single takeaway opportunity, and hell, we got three of them. But we also had that muff punt I mentioned. We had a couple of tip balls that fell harmlessly to the ground. We did get one. We had a strip sack that, if recovered, it puts Miami directly in field goal range to tie it or drive for the win with four minutes to play in the game. Man, oh man. I thought we had that one late. Let's go ahead and do the stats real quick and takeaways, and I'll filter these grander thoughts and takeaways into the podcast as we go. But first, on the stats... I don't think these numbers did the game justice. And obviously Miami's defense doing what they did in this game was a big part of that. Buffalo had 25 first downs to Miami 16. And then here's where I think the game was ultimately decided. Nine for 16 was Buffalo on third down. They were 0 for 1 on fourth. So really nine for 17 on gotta have it type of plays. Miami was four for 16 on third and one for two on fourth down. And there was a graphic flash at some point in the third quarter where Miami's average down and distance on third downs was 11.7 yards to go. So it's challenging to overcome that. And offensively, it wasn't Miami's most proficient day. Obviously, lots of incomplete passes, too many pre-snap penalties, um, 
but they competed and they stayed in it and they put together drives in critical situations. Buffalo, 423 yards to Miami's 231. That's 316 and 107 through the air and on the ground for Buffalo. Miami had 189 and just 42 rushing yards. If I told you coming into the game, if Miami's going to rush for 42 yards and they were going to have a chance at midfield to potentially get two more first downs and kick a game-tying field goal to go to overtime, you would have said, Travis, you're outside your mind. Buffalo only ran three more plays than Miami. That had been a big disparity in both games, not to mention the 60-play disparity from the Week 3 game. Three turnovers for Buffalo, two for Miami. We sacked Josh Allen seven times in this game. Skyler was sacked four times. Seven penalties for 34 yards for Miami, two for 13 for Buffalo, and they had the ball for 32 minutes. We had it for just a shade under 28 minutes. Gosh! Felt like we had a chance to get that one, man. Takeaway number one for me was we had to be perfect and we weren't, but then... In all honesty, that really wasn't even true because even with early mistakes and even some late ones, the opportunities were still there late. But in reality, we got to highlight these things because these are the things that the Dolphins can, you know, work to improve upon. And again, this is going to be a theme throughout. I think the Dolphins continuity and familiarity with, you know, the current iteration of coaches and players and you're going to have turnover every single year, but by and large, the system, right, will stay the same. And I think that continuity is going to play big, big parts, big elements, or will play a big part, I should say, in overcoming these little things that cost the Dolphins football games this year. And we got to point them out as to know how to correct them, right? And it was the drops early on, the waddle drop down the field, that ball's in his hands, can't quite make a catch. And we'll talk more about that here in just one second. There was a drop by Tyreek early in the game as well and a little slant pass over the middle of the field where he had some space to run with it as well. There was a third and 15 conversion for Josh Allen in that Buffalo offense, which, you know, that's kind of something they do with that quarterback. But anytime you get third and behind the sticks, man, you got to get off the field. The early situations in the game with Stephon Diggs and having a lot of space to operate with on Xavier Howard and getting separation and creating that space and making big plays, it felt early like Buffalo's offense might run away with it and so for Miami to adjust and make the plays they did another tip of the cap there but early on Diggs was doing what he wanted to do against the Miami defense we had the deep shot to Waddle again that was broken up and that's a pass breakup through and through the play that he injured his shoulder on and we'll talk more about him again in a second but that's a play you can potentially make uh, there were some I thought they showed a lot of the all 22 uh, tight copy from the end zone angle behind the quarterback behind the offense. And Tony Romo was kind of pointing out some guys running to space and how there was some clean pockets. We bailed on early and didn't, didn't really maximize the ability to step up and play within the pocket. We didn't get that muff punt that I've mentioned 16 times now. Didn't get some key third down stops in the nine for 16, uh, especially third and long situations. But I think, you know, most of all, and we're, you know, 10 minutes into the podcast now. And I think you're probably wondering why haven't I talked about it yet? The operation, you know, breaking the huddle late, not having enough time at the line. It was something that popped up too frequently, you know, I'm sure for coaches liking all year long. So why don't we go ahead and go to Mike McDaniel on the operations on the uh, fourth and one delay of game on the final drive for the Miami Dolphins. Um, there, there was a couple of different scenarios. It's something that, um, you know, obviously will be a point of emphasis. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, in the uh, in the off season, but. You know, there's compounding variables. There was some crowd noise that had to do with mishearing some digits of the wristband. There was um, some uh, some uh, issues within the huddle of communication and getting to the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, the, and there's the the excuse that 
you don't use, but that is a real compounding variable is there's, uh, you know, there was a multiple amount of um, different people in the huddle where communicate, you know, when you're in a, in a nice routine and you have a, uh, maybe a group of offensive linemen um, that are being communicated to by the same person, you know, when you, when you have flux like that, it, it happens. It shouldn't ha- happen as much as it did. Um, and then the the last one in particular um, had to do with uh, had to do with uh, whether you know whether it was officials or coaching. Um, you know, there was some communication that we had gotten the first down. So then we were um, deploying. A, a group of players for the first and ten call, and then it was it was articulated uh, that no, it was fourth down. So that miscommunication that's that's all the stuff that you that you do in in this business is you um, you never stop finding the things that you can improve on, um, and and it's a it was a piece of the reason uh, you know why we we're unable to come out with a victory, but it, it definitely wasn't the only reason. There's a, um, a lot of people can uh, find several things that they could do better, um, including myself, which we will do pressing forward. He also mentioned in a later follow-up question that he was told from somebody in his headset that it was a first down, and they were subbing out personnel for the first down play, and then they learned later that it was only a fourth down, so he had to get personnel back onto the field. And with no timeouts, it's tough to get that situation handled. But again, that goes into the earlier operation to maintain those timeouts in a late-game situation so you can burn the timeout there and not get flagged for a delay of game in a critical, critical spot. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side, do takeaways two through five, play before the play, teach tape, and I have a segment from the post-game show. All of that next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first like worthington and liz claiborne for her each in women's petite and plus sizes and stafford and mutual weave for him style and comfort for all even big and tall plus even more for the whole family like levi's and exertion here spring comes in all shapes sizes and colors jc penny make everybody count Segment number two on the season finale edition of the Drive Time Podcast, year three in the books now. Uh, Since I got here, all winning seasons, first playoff season, and what a fun playoff game it was. Just not quite enough in the end for the Miami Dolphins as they fall 34-31 to those rival Buffalo Bills up north. My second takeaway is multifaceted as it tends to be, but the rush lane integrity and the pass rush taking over and I think learning how to play this quarterback who all of a sudden the Dolphins are stacking up some games where, you know, Superman himself is not playing at his peak. And, you know, to hold 
the Bills to the way the Dolphins have. And on the other side of the ball as well, I saw that, heard the stat that they only the Bills only had three games without a takeaway this year, and two of those were against the Dolphins in the regular season. Now Miami had two giveaways today, but that's a pretty cool stat. And I just watched the way the Dolphins defended Josh Allen, who you kind of come into you know this season, and I'm sure seasons ahead, like that's the guy we got to stop. That's the team we have to beat because they're kind of the class of the division now uh, since Brady left the Patriots. Um, you got to learn how to play this guy. And I think Miami's getting better with each outing against him. Seven sacks is outrageous. I mean, we've been talking about how the pressure's been bubbling up all year. We saw the great blitz packages and different disguised looks of Josh Boyer in this game to get that pressure on Allen. Three takeaways, a fumble six, a tipped pass picked off, another pressure that forced that throw into coverage downfield for vintage Xavier Howard making a great interception. We'll talk about those DBs in a moment. But up front, Christian and Zach, man, I think the way the, the rush was coordinated in this game, and we talked to Austin Clark, Dolphins defensive line coach, on Thursday about this, about rush lane integrity and, and making sure that you are not bailing on your gap. And, you know, if you give Josh Allen a seam, he's going to take it. We saw it. They, they ran that cool play call, you know, from a Bills perspective, where they motion the back and Jerome Baker runs out with him, and that opens up his fit in the run game because all of a sudden you're an empty, no more need for a run fit, and Josh Allen takes the B gap on the draw. Just really, you know, good chess and checkers type of stuff there. Or I should say just chess, a good chess match between the two coaching staffs here. But, man, the way they rushed the edge with Phillips and Chubb kind of staying wide and not giving him those outside escape hatches. And then from there, Wilkins and Sealer consistently, man, snapping and snap out, just playing off guys. Two gap, I'm going to go ahead and get myself in a position where I can disengage when I have to and cleaning up those pockets. Melvin Ingram, Andrew Van Ginkle, those guys as well kind of looping inside and providing some interior gap rush. I'm excited about this group, man. I think that they have been scratching the surface all year long, had their breakthrough in this game, and a player like Jalen Phillips, my goodness, man, he's good. He is a really good player. We saw you know, him talking back and forth with Spencer Brown at one point in the game, the Bills' right tackle, and lip reading was very clear what he said. You can't block me, bro. He was, he was giving him fits the entire game, and there was a stretch there, three plays, three plays in a series where he had to run stuff, uh, a pressure on Allen and a hit that forced an incomplete pass, and then another pressure on the third down where he was able to get Allen off the spot to scramble into trouble and eventually, you know, not be able to convert on the play. So, man, he was excellent in this game. And we had, who did I talk to about this? I was talking to somebody about how Max Crosby of the Raiders was originally racking up pressures early in his career, and the big sack numbers hadn't come yet. But in year three and four, man, he hit the just took off on the sack numbers, like into the teens. And Phillips, his pressure production, his quarterback hits, his hurries, his ability to set the edge on the way to play the quarterback, to, to earn the right to rush the quarterback through his run defense, it's been bubbling up all year. He's been fantastic, and I cannot wait to see with the way that young man is wired, the way he works, the fact that he's a Walter Payton Man of the Year in year two, a Community Service Award winner in the Nat Moore Award in his rookie season. You just know he's going to come back with a, a great workout, a, a great work regimen, a great temperament this offseason and come back in year number three. And I can't wait to watch him, Christian and Zach and all these dudes continue to, to build together and build that continuity on the defensive line with a full offseason to draw up stuff for Chubb to be incorporated into this pass rush with Van Ginkle and Melvin Ingram. I'm fired up about it, man. It's a good looking group up front. Seven sacks on that quarterback. It's a great, great effort. Takeaway number three. Going down swinging, 
we saw the tweet from Jeff Darlington before the game saying, like, the Dolphins are going to empty the bag of tricks in this one. And I, they didn't really do that. It wasn't like Wildcat and, you know, receiver passes and things that, you know, fake punks and field goals. It wasn't that. But I loved the idea on defense. We got to keep coming after this quarterback, man, because he's going to get his big plays, whether you do it or not. And we saw the week three game plan. Like, we're going to go ahead and let him take his checkdowns and get his four yards per play. And it, it worked. It was 90 plays to 37 in that game. And you had, you know, your offense was super efficient in the few drives they had to maintain that close score. But with the circumstances facing the team on Sunday, go after him. Create the negative plays. And they did. Like, 10 of them. Seven sacks. Three takeaways. Tackles for loss. I didn't even count in that factor either. He got his big plays. He certainly did. He had his chances for big plays. The one that didn't count. Uh, the, the ball that was overturned on an incomplete pass down the field. Like, they have to be perfect on low percentage throws to beat you when you do that. And in this situation, challenge them. And they, they did. And they, ex- they really excelled in a lot of those ways. I, I thought that was cool. I thought the end arounds and the double reverse they ran to Waddle for the near touchdown play was really cool. I thought the screen game got cranking for the first time really in, in quite a while. Uh, the receivers blocking off the edges was really important in this game. Sherfield was, was filling himself on a couple of those ones. Craycraft, Tyreek. Um, how about Teron Armstead? you know, strapping it on and giving us everything he got. You know, we learned from him last week when he won the Good Guy Media Award that he said that surgery was a possibility after week one, and he denied, he said, no, I'm good. I'm going to play the rest of the season, and he gave us everything he had to give us, man. What a great addition to Ron Armstead was, not just on the field, but his captaincy, and we heard Mike McDaniel talk about it after the game on his post-game press conference talking about T-Stead and the young offensive line, and it was the youngest offensive line group McDaniel had ever been around, and how Teron's impact on setting a standard for how it's supposed to look in practice and in games and the way you prepare, so important to this roster. And to come out there in this game so banged up, you guys know that he made a joke about head, shoulders, knees, and toes on the injury report. Like, dude gave us everything he has. How about Jalen Waddell getting back in there? I mean, he was hurting, dude. Like, it was so obvious to tell that that shoulder kept bothering him, and he's out there making catches, you know, with that one arm really operating well for him, and he's making big plays. The, the one before the, you know, fourth down stop at the end where he got within one yard of the, of the sticks, and, man, those spots were short of where they actually should have been, I thought. I digress. But the way they played for their head coach, for their teammates, for each other, for the love of this, it goes back to what T. Stead said in his Good Guy Media Award press conference. Like, I asked him, hey, you got one-fourth of the team here got voted for this award. What does, it say about, what does that say about this team? He said, we have the right type of people here. And that was a big emphasis from Mike McDaniel and Chris Greer, and it's evident by Teron Armstead and the guys that they brought in uh, to do that. Speaking of playing for each other and playing for their coach, let's go ahead and hear from Mike McDaniel on this group of guys and their medal they showed this season. The realness of coaching a team and the relationship with with players, um, coaches, and just knowing what happens to most people when you invest a lot and you don't get the results you necessarily desire. Um, most people tap. This this collection of individuals does not. Very, very proud of that. Um, heartbroken for the guys because they didn't want their season to end and did everything they could. Um, but, you know, it's it's part of the sometimes hard learning lessons that are that are appropriate um, when you when you have high expectations high dreams high goals this team um, much like you know the five game losing streak um, this team utilized it uh, which you have to do you utilize hard things to make you better 
um, and I was very proud of the way they fought, have always been. that um, That's the standard that they've shown me, and, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I wanted the team to progress so much because, because of things like that. Takeaway number four, as we've gone through three so far, was the Dolphins' ability to win in the margins. And I tweeted about it. I think Daniel Oyafusi of the Miami Herald was who I quote retweeted, talking about Cedric Wilson having two big special teams plays. Obviously, a 50-yard return is a big deal, but so is making a key block on a punt from the positive side of the field was Buffalo, I think, in our territory, kicking the ball to the end zone, and the ball checked up with a chance to make a play at the goal line to pin us deep in a, you know, in a tough place to, to play from the goal line, and he makes a key block to allow the ball to trickle into the end zone. 70 yards on two plays from him. That's a really big deal there. So I thought the, the wins and the margins, uh, finding you know the football in, in certain situations, got the ball on the ground again, recovered it uh, once there with a the touchdown from Zach Sealer. Just thought the Dolphins did everything they could in the fine margins to potentially win this game. And before we get to takeaway number five, just want to go ahead and put these in here because takeaway number five kind of concludes the podcast and the season here. But the play before the play was the opening drive with Duke Riley's speed to the perimeter, chasing down Josh Allen to get a forced fumble and knock the ball out of the out of the side or off the field, I should say, to the sideline on that third down and short, which sets up a fourth down play, and Miami gets the stop on that play. So play before the play, takeaway basically. Teaching tape for me was Alec Ingold getting a two-piece, knocking out two Buffalo Bills defenders on one screen pass on a 13-yard catch and run by Tyreek Hill. And I want to mention some names that I didn't get to in the podcast, but Javon Holland was an absolute monster in this game. His range, his playmaking, his ability to separate the receiver from the football at the right time with a clean hit is imperative and shows up almost weekly, it seems like. Cater Kohu, what a stud he was, a find of an undrafted rookie free agent. That pass breakup that we nearly got a deflection and a pick on was awesome to see. I mentioned Cedric Wilson's game. I just put him in the notes again because I was so impressed by what he did. And that catch and run where he turned up field and like you know, quickly got five or six more yards to get a first down. Uh, Robert Hunt, I thought, did a great job at right tackle. Rob Jones filling in as well. thought Mike Kosicki made some plays, and Savon Ahmed showed you some of the value he offers as an explosive running back. So good stuff all around. We have one more takeaway, two more McDaniel sound bites. Let's go ahead, though, and take our last break right there and come back on the other side, do takeaway five, hear from Coach Mike McDaniel. We'll go ahead and hear from myself and OJ in the postgame show. Wrap it up next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up, like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect, flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Third segment on a season finale podcast, Drive Time Edition, your host, Travis Wingfield. Takeaway number five from the Dolphins' wild card round 34-31 loss in Buffalo was that there was never a game all year long where the Dolphins didn't belong. And I mentioned the other losses earlier 
in this podcast, but even earlier in the season, which again feels like could have been eight seasons ago, looking back at the September-October schedule. I mean, the Bengals game, you're driving for a potential lead in the fourth quarter before the interception happened in that one. Like, that's, you know, you're one or two plays away there. Uh, I mentioned the, the Jets game. I didn't mention that one yet. The first game, no Xavier Howard, no Teron Armstead, no Austin Jackson. Brandon Shell had just joined you. Quarterback two goes out on the first play of the game for the offense, and a rookie has to get his first action on the road against one of the toughest defenses, one of the toughest fronts against your banged-up offensive line, and it's 19-17, kicking a 50-yard field goal in the fourth quarter for potential lead. Uh, the Minnesota game wasn't our best showing, but stayed in it. Defense played well, and Waddle has the football, you know, heading towards the red zone before a fumble on a potential go-ahead drive against the Vikings. I just think the process and talent that this team has and the process that really outweighs the outcomes. I don't believe you are what your record says you are. I mean, ultimately, it determines where the season goes, but you wind up all the time with teams that felt like they had good years and just got the short stick. You know, there's no guarantees it turns around the following season, but man, there are so many things to look at as reasons to believe that you can get those fine margins, those fine details dialed and potentially flip some of these close games that you played into your favor. Like, your number two in the system is the biggest one for me and the continuity that comes with that. We've heard people from Peyton Manning to coaches to players now talk about the importance of having that continuity in a system and Manning saying how in year two it starts to become more like second nature where there's less thinking and you have to think that the idea of that could speed up the entire you know operational issues we've talked about in this game and this season. And Coach Mike McDaniel, the very first thing he said in his post-game press conference was like that will be a big point of emphasis this offseason. I, th- I think about that. I think about the idea of this staff and, and roster and, you know, the larger collection having a full off season to get ready for, you know, what they want to be and what they want to do and clean those things up because they talk about it all the time, right? During the season, you don't have time to really, you know, go back and break down and redrill fundamentals and do like individual work that way outside of the short time you have in the beginning of practice because you got a game plan. you got to get ready for an opponent. So having a full off season to attack in that mode, I like our coaches getting their hands on our players in that sense. Um, you know, that opening line from McDaniel talking about getting better. And I, I, I think about his comments about when he was in D.C. with Robert Griffin III and that entire coaching staff had never, you know, done read option, had never operated an offense like that from the zone read. And they went through like coaching clinics and put together their game plan from their from scratch, like learning that whole thing in year one and how – McDaniel and his staff having this full offseason to kind of do that, but with their own personnel, the benefit of that, the benefit of that continuity for the quarterback and the offensive line to get that communication, to get that language down and, and to have it be, you know, more, just more continuity in general for both the players and the coaches. You know, we didn't have coach McDaniel this time last year. He was busy putting together his staff, you know, into February, right? So more continuity is huge. And speaking of that, you know, who hasn't had the same play caller since he was in high school? Let's hear from head coach Mike McDaniel when he was asked about the ESPN report on Sunday morning. I'm sure all you saw that said the Dolphins plan to have Tua back as their quarterback in 2023. Uh, well, first and foremost, you guys know the with Tua, it's um, worried about it on a day-to-day basis. Um, how's he doing today and just worried about his health. Now, um, with uh, that being said, uh, yeah, of, uh, of course, uh, you guys know how I feel about Tua, and um, that that hasn't changed at all. And 
you know, that I, I see, I think we all see um, him as the leader of this team. And when, if, you know, when it's appropriate for him um, to lead the team and uh, I will jump on that opportunity. It's a, um, he's a, a great player with only the only improvement in front of him as well. You know, we're talking about a 24-year-old quarterback um, that, you know, I think when I signed up for this job, I spent six months trying to convince people that he was good. So um, the the fact that people are, you know, the, the fact that Las Vegas saw it as a, a four-point swing when I announced that he was, uh, means that he's a, yes, this is a challenging time for him. Um, yes, his health is of primary importance, but I'd be a, a fool to um, not embrace him when he's when he's healthy and, and ready to go, and we'll all be excited for that. Really good stuff there from head coach Mike McDaniel. I want to finish before the post-game show segment here with Coach again, who was asked about reflecting upon his rookie season with the Miami Dolphins. Here's Coach talking about his first season and kind of where the headspace is right now. Working your, working your whole life for um, in one direction for a singular goal. It, it feels th- this place feels right. I feel very fortunate. I feel very bound and determined um, to uh, you know always improve. Um, I think there's some there's always good and there's always bad. I think the second that you start thinking that you're you're problemless or that you figured it out is when stuff passes you by. So um, I know I I know one thing um, without question. I know that I did the very best that I could for all the people involved, which is extremely important to me. Um, so I'm proud of that, and I know there'll be plenty there'll be plenty of things that I'll um, get better at, which is the way I look at the expectation for myself and my job. So um, that will never change. That will be the same thing every um, every year. Um, but the, my primary concern is that I do um, everything possible uh, to try to put people in, in positions for success because that's what this role can offer. And I think um, I'm happy with, with that um, and not happy with today's result. Um, and uh, which, which I don't think I'll ever be until um, it's the final game of the season and you're a champion. So there you go, head coach Mike McDaniel. Let's go ahead and close up this podcast with me and OJ on the post-game show. I posed the question to him um, about you know continuity and improving and getting some things on the right track for next season, year two in a system, year two under a coach and their entire program. Here is myself and OJ talking about just that on the post-game show after the Dolphins game against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday on 560 WQAM. We were kind of talking during the break there about how we wanted to keep that segment going, kind of talk about the direction of this team, the expectations heading into next offseason. But I wanted to come back here and, and go back to what I, I left off the last segment with and kind of go the to OJ here. Part, the soliloquies? Is that okay. even the right word I used there? I don't that think was, so. I, was, I don't know where you were going. We rolled with it, man. I was banking you, on We could have <laughs> left it alone. Nobody would have you know, said a word. That's exactly what it I don't was. know. My she mom is an English teacher, and she's a big 
big Shakespeare gal, so I better get monologue and soliloquy. Well, I was an English minor, but apparently it's not doing me any good over here. Minor. So <laughs> yeah, you said minor is exactly right. But what I kind of left off there with was talking about what Seth mentioned, the raised expectation and these little things where I'm texting some buddies right now, and they're the same ones, Big Seth, that didn't want to watch the game. And Did I they asked watch him, it? I said, too bad you guys are missing a hell of a game. Like, we're watching the game. What are you talking yeah, about? I was like, yeah, I'm sure you are. You. But I was talking to him a little bit about, like, how I come out of this game in this season. I know, like, again, football has so many variables, as, as Coach likes to call them, compounding variables, that contribute to the outcome, the wins and the losses. Ultimately, I'm of the belief the process was good. The Dolphins had a good team this year. A lot of things went against them. They came up short in some big moments. But to me, that's just kind of that extra surge, that extra hump you have to get over. And so I want to go back to what Seth talked about, what Coach talked about, and our first hour, Juice, and just kind of ask you about getting over that hump because three straight winning seasons, you finally break into the playoffs for the first time since 2016, and you compete in a game that, again, nobody, nobody gave them a chance to compete in. How do you turn that fuel into getting over the hump and getting that play against the Niners, getting that play against the Charger, like winning these games, going 14-3? and three yeah. and get, like, How do you make that flip to go from a team that's almost there to a team that is there? Well, I'm going to tell you, you know, we've had so many games that we all talked about, we all sat there and watched that one stop or one drive and the Dolphins win the game, and those games came up losses. I think today, like we talked about earlier, no moral victories, but today showed this team that they could play about anybody. This team right here, the Buffalo Bills, I mean, they're, they're one of the top two teams in the league right now. And we've gone into Buffalo, and we've played them, played them well. So here's how you get over the hump. You, you listen and, and feel how this feels right now, getting on that bus, getting on that plane, and coming home when you had another chance to beat these guys. You know, we talked about it earlier when the 72 team went perfect, how the Pittsburgh Steelers felt after they lost the AFC Championship game and then the role they went on. That feeling, and I'm going to tell you, even before that, when the Dolphins lost to the Cowboys and how, how Don Shula was, or the Redskins, and how Don Shula was telling those guys, remember this feeling. And then next thing you know, they won two Super Bowls. You know what I mean? So it, that's how you get over the hump, man. The, 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 the taste in your mouth that's so bad when you get on that plane on that bus, headed back, you know, when you know you had a shot and nobody gave you a shot, and you're going to get this extra year. The best thing that I heard from Coach McDaniel's, you know, presser was that that this extra year, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be great for everybody. The system itself, with quarterbacks coming back that know the system, and it's just going to get better and better. With a head man that's calling the plays, it's going to be able to, you know, bypass a lot of things and make and tighten up the, the operations that we're talking about. The receivers that are going to come back. Look, this is only year one with this, with these group of guys. So you see all the mishaps and some of the miscommunication that we've heard about and we've seen over and over and over again. But give this system a year plus and see what happens with it. Look. Josh Allen wasn't lighting it up in Buffalo at nope. the beginning of that offense, you know what I mean? Until so he started figuring it out and getting a couple of weapons along with along the way. But there were some consistent guys that he had with him too. And that's how this is going to happen. Offensive line play. Consistency with head coach, quarterback, the system, players is what's going to lead to success. The turnover we've had in different – even look, I mean, even looking at the turnover with Coach Flo with like two or three or four coordinators that we might have had. That's not consistency with an offense. We know there's going to be consistency with this offense because our head man's going to be around, and he's going to be calling the plays with a lot of guys that are familiar with it. So that's how we're going to get over the hump, getting into that next I like year. It. I didn't know anything. When I first – the reason the Dolphins were so successful in the 80s and early 90s, because they had the same system, mm -hmm. they had the same quarterback, they had the same personnel, and they mastered it. They mastered it. If these guys can stay together like that, 
for that length of time, they will be able to master this offense. And they'll have the nuances, and there won't be the communication problems. There won't be the operations problems. They'll be able to get a call from Coach McDaniel and Tua or Skyler, whoever is going to be able to finish it off without even saying anything. It, it, just, it'll get to that point, I promise you that. Those high-stress moments become one where you're kind of looking around like, who's got my answer? Who's got my, who's got my alignment? Now next year, I think the idea in year two is that it'll be – Second nature. Okay, I know. I, I got this. Yep. I'm fine. I'll, I'll go into this high stress. A lot more comfortable. Exactly and everything's going to slow down for everybody. 100%. It's going to slow down for Coach McDaniel as well. This is. It's got to be high pace for him, man. It's like his first time being in that position. No, and, 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 at any level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is his first time being the head man pretty much at any level. It's going to slow down for him just like it slowed down for me as a receiver. It's going to slow down for every quarterback that comes in the league. For most of them, the, the great ones, it, it slows down to almost you know slow motion. And hopefully we'll get to that, that situation there. But the game slowing down is critical for everybody to be successful out there. That first year in San Francisco when he was there with Kyle Shanahan, they won four games. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, an offseason project, I might go back and watch the Niners in 2017 and 2018 and kind of get a look at how the operation improves and just how things run smoother. Because that's a big thing for me, Big Seth, as well, as the second-year jump that I expect. Like, like Juice talked about, you, you gave me exactly what I wanted there, OJ. That's what I wanted to hear as a Dolphins fan. I feel even more confident now uh, heading into the offseason to attack it aggressively and get better in those areas. Um, I think, again, the pass rush, we only got a glimpse of what it can be here with oh, Phillips yeah. having the second year breakthrough, Wilkins having a huge year as well, and, and Bradley Chubb. You know, I think he made his biggest play as a Dolphin in the last, was it the second or third to last possession there yep. with that strip sack. I think your secondary had an unbelievable amount of attrition this year, and they fought like, you know, fought like hell to get through it with guys that are special teams players coming up and, and giving them snaps, and hopefully you get more healthy there. And, you know, you talked about Brandon Jones, Seth, being one of your favorite mm-hmm. tweeters of the season this year. Right. He was itching. I want him to be a tweeter next Exactly. Year. Right. He was. It was killing he can him tweet, today. But after after he played, after correct. Dubs. Not an in-game tweeter. <laughs> he was. You could tell it was killing him to not be out there with the way he was tweeting. He, he tweeted exactly that, which I was playing today. This this sucks, you know. But yeah. uh, getting a guy like him back will be big. And then, like you mentioned earlier, Juice experience in these big games. Uh, yes. They played every single team down to the wire. Just got to find those couple of plays. They flipped the overall score against the Bills to 85-81. A year after it was not even close to that. I think there was a 30 or 40 point margin in the two games. Now you come within four points over the course of three games. So really strong stuff there. And, of course, a list of needs heading into the offseason. Uh, we'll talk about that on a later show. But I just I come out of this encouraged. And, Juice, you told me exactly what I wanted to hear, man. Thank you. You're welcome, man. <laughs> You're welcome, Doc. All right, so there you go. Those are kind of you know harsh cuts, but with the way the uh, ad reads go, I'm not going to put them here on the podcast. But that's us in the postgame show. You can find us, I believe, on the uh, Best of 560 podcast app to find those shows in their entirety with me seth and oj in the meantime it's going to be my time you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast for plenty of off-season content coming your guys's way three days a week in the off-season we'll hit the peak times as well uh, before summer break going back to two episodes a week but for now three episodes per week we'll have plenty of content covering you know press conferences player availabilities off-season moves all that fun stuff coming your way here on drive time over the course of the off-season you all please be sure to subscribe on apple spotify wherever you get your podcast podcast from go ahead and leave us a rating leave us a review follow me on twitter at wingfield nfl follow the team at miami dolphins check out the fish tank podcast with seth and juice and all of our podcasts here on the miami dolphins podcast network the youtube channel for media availabilities dolphins today some fish tank and drive time content up there as well and last but not least miamidolphins.com until next time fins up caroline and cameron daddy's coming home